Welcome to the Agris Church Podcast. I'm one of the hosts, Taylor DeSoto. I'm a ruling and teaching elder here at the church. With me, I've got my co-host. Do you want to introduce yourself? I am uh, Dane Johansson. I'm the lead pastor over at Agros, and uh, it's our first podcast. So we're really excited to uh, get going on this. Excellent. So who are we as Agros? How did the church start? Uh, do you want to tell us a story maybe of how we got going? Yeah, um, I've been in pastoral <laughs> ministry and evangelistic ministry ever since I got saved in 2008. Um, I was kind of thrown into stuff too quickly, but the Lord has been gracious in that he's brought me to where I am today. And I pastored a church in Gold Canyon for a while as a youth pastor, uh, was ordained there. And since then, um, we've just had a passion to continue to reach lost. I've always had a passion for pastoral ministry. Even a couple years before that, I went to Church of the Redeemer in Mesa for a while. And that's really where I just got a passion to study more, Mm -hmm. to learn the biblical languages, to learn theology, and started amassing this ridiculous library behind me. Um, (laughs) It's quite a library. Yeah. And so... Agros Church was kind of born out of that. I, I, I left my position as a youth pastor after a while and um, was pursuing evangelistic ministry, doing skateboard ministry, things mm-hmm. like that. <clears throat> and through doing that, it was through actually leading family worship with my family and just inviting people over on Sunday nights to join us during that family worship that we uh, kind of just saw this thing organically growing into something. And I thought it was going to be a few years down the road further probably in my 30s that I planned a church once I'd finished seminary and things like that but it just felt like the right time we prayed about it um, and I just felt like it was time to call together those that I've been doing ministry with for years Taylor mm. being one and uh, the rest of the people on uh, that are on the leadership here at Agros um, good friends of mine uh, consider family honestly and called them together said hey let's plant this church and it was just kind of took off from there. Everyone was on board. And actually, I called Taylor if you want to talk kind of about you got involved in Agros. Yeah. So we, my wife and I were living in Philadelphia at the time, going to a tremendous, amazing uh, Reformed Baptist church outside of Philly. I loved that church. Nothing but great things to say about them. And Dane and I had been talking on and off uh, throughout the year, and he'd been trying to get me to come back. He said, hey, I think we're finally going to plant the church that we – talked about 10 years ago and and I had told him that uh well the only way that we can really move back is if my wife gets pregnant and we don't think that's in the cards uh just various health issues and all that we just didn't think that it was going to happen but I mean the reason I said that was if she got pregnant we were the only way we would have been able to support and provide would be if we were near family so about a week what would you say, a week or a month later? I get It was dating. about a week after you, I called you originally, yeah. About a week later. Uh, my wife had been pregnant at the time of that call. Wow. Uh, we didn't know. <laughs> and so I called Dane. I said, guess what? My wife is pregnant and we're moving back. And, you know, through God's providence and uh, mercy on me and my family, we were able to move back smoothly. The uh, my old church in Philly, I mean, they, they had our apartment packed up in about half an hour and were, um, they, they just blessed us so much, taught me a lot about ministry and how to, how to function as a church body. They were an exemplar of such. Mm. So we moved, we moved back and, uh, Dana actually asked me, do you want to be an elder? And I, uh, was like, all right, let me think about that. And I prayed about it, asked my wife and her initial thoughts were, well, my dad's a pastor and no, I'm sorry, you can't, uh, but we talked about it, we prayed through it, and ultimately uh, I did accept the uh, the offer to come on board on staff at Agros, which has been uh, you know, a trial, but also a huge blessing, just growing and uh, you know, really just trying to do my best to honor the Lord and, and be an example of the well, church Well, yeah, leader. and we, you know, everyone here obviously knew you before you'd moved to Philly. You'd only mm-hmm. lived in Philly maybe a year and a half at the time. Yeah. And so we've all done ministry together, everyone, you know, everybody that's involved in leadership and all the founding members, as well as myself, and they've known you for years and seen your trials, your growth, mm-hmm. my trials and growth, and we've all seen each other's trials and growth, so it's right. really cool. And so when I proposed the idea, everyone was on board right away. You just had to um, accept it. We did do an official vote the first Sunday, um, just for the sake of it, and everyone did vote you in as well, so. Very cool. And uh, kind of transitioning now, I just... Uh, this whole podcast, our first podcast, is going to be just why we're doing it, kind of our vision for everything, mm-hmm. and we're we're hoping to make it, you know, very specific to uh, 
the, the audience we're trying to reach, which is people that are uh, maybe ignorant or just trying to get into, just starting to get into the idea of the Reformed faith, Reformed Baptist, Presbyterian, those kinds of things, and just the issues and how, how the Reformed faith fleshes itself out. And when we say Reformed faith, we just mean the biblical faith. It's not um, something that we see tradition as equal to the authority of Scripture, but we see that the tradition we stand in, the line of people that we stand in as being faithful to the Scriptures. And so we stand mm-hmm. in that tradition of people that have tried to interpret the Scriptures correctly. And uh, obviously there's some different denominations within uh, the Reformed community. So everyone doesn't see eye to eye on everything. There is room for conscience. But... Um, the idea of the podcast actually was mostly your idea and one of our members, yeah. Scott Maxwell, who's actually behind the camera over there, uh, been a big help with getting this together. And <clears throat> the podcast, you know, that's uh, I, I've benefited greatly from podcasts, whether it be Apologia's podcast or James White's podcast and uh, many other podcasts. But um, the idea of doing one myself was just kind of odd to me. I didn't think you know, I could do it, but you've really pressed that on me as well as <clears throat> Scott. So I'll kind of let you answer that question. Cause it's been mostly on your heart as well as right. wh- why are we doing a podcast? What is the reason for that? Yes. If, if you know anything about I'll just for the audience, give a little bit of background. I'm uh, a huge believer that, that uh, the gospel changes nations and it, it impacts culture and it impacts uh, societies and government. And, and I think that when, Christians are faithful to living out the gospel in every sphere of life. Uh, that there's there's blessings that are offered to the covenant people of God and the people that interact with the covenant people of God. And so when you talk about podcasts, for me, it's 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 using a extremely powerful medium to first and foremost reach uh, the people within our church to mm-hmm. provide additional teaching to the people within our church. That's our primary mission mm-hmm. and goal and focus. But secondarily, to reach and minister to other local uh, churches, to local ministers, uh, mm. to impact the cult- culture around us through uh, the faithful preaching of the word first from the pulpit, and then secondarily producing materials, you know, behind the scenes uh, that that act as a supplement, and, and hopefully, in this podcast, particularly talking about church history yep. and and various uh, loci of theology, hopefully. We, we can change the culture in Arizona, the, the church culture in Arizona, um, from something which is l- largely watered down, mm. uh, largely seeker-friendly. I mean, you, you can't throw a rock in downtown or in, in Gilbert without hitting a, a megachurch. It, or a Mormon church. Or a Mormon church, <laughs> you know. And, and I think there's a, there's a huge opportunity to, to really infiltrate uh, this community with the gospel. Yep. And not even just the gospel, but even specifics of right. the biblical truth that we've come to hold in the Reformed faith. Um, specifically, the London Baptist Confession of Faith is something we hold to, and we'll, we'll get into that in a minute. But I think something we should discuss is, is why the emphasis, especially in this podcast, in our church, on theology, uh, the local church, why we, we just heard Taylor talking about the local church, the church in Arizona or in Connecticut, wherever you are, the mm-hmm. local church, your body of believers that you meet with regularly and the community around you of other churches is something that Christians should be very invested in, interested yeah. in, and consider very important. So theology, the local church, and worldview are all really important to us in this church uh, as leaders of this church, and also um, this podcast are going to be the three main things we're going to be focusing on is worldview, local church, and theology. Um, and just to address the first point of why we do that um, would be because these three are inseparable. The local church, mm-hmm. theology, and worldview are, are, are inseparable. Yeah. With uh, The local church lives out the gospel in their worldview, the way they interact with things. When we talk about worldview, we talk about when somebody wakes up, whether they're an atheist, agnostic, a uh, Christian, a reformed Christian, a non-reformed Christian, whatever worldview you have, when you wake up in the morning and you walk out your daily life, mm-hmm. that's worldview. Yeah. And your worldview affects how you live. And that's why we think it's so important to have a biblical worldview um, and, and an informed worldview. And so the local church, by the teaching, the theology that is being given by its pastors, by its confessions, its history, its tradition, um, is that's going to impact how the local church lives out uh, that theology. And that's going to be their worldview that they work from. So right. whether their emphasis is on evangelism, uh, reaching the lost, uh, feeding the hungry and poor, uh, abortion ministry ministries of mercy there's all sorts of different things that they can reach out 
and do. And that's going to look different for every local church, but the, the theology uh, of that local church is going to emphasize or, or impact their worldview and thus how the local church functions in its community. Right. So on that, I think uh, kind of the next section we can go into. Um, what was it we had? Uh... Um, yeah, I, I mean, I can just kind of talk a little bit about my position on worldview. What, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, just to kind of add to what you were talking about uh, is that the emphasis, you know, the emphasis of our theology and our worldview, it's not something that we've thought up on, on our own. It's mm-hmm. not something that just came from thin air. Right. Uh, our theology. Myth of neutrality. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like you can't be neutral when you're approaching this and we don't pretend to be. Mm. And something that I really appreciate about the Reformed tradition specifically is that we understand that, that our theology comes from a long line of great and mighty men of God before us who spent their entire lives you know, some to the point of, of death by persecution, just to preserve the word of God and his teachings. Yep. Yep. And the local church has always been and is the means of grace that God uses to minister to the invisible church and to the world, and to the visible church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and worldview is just theology lived out. Yep. So if, if our theology comes from that, that line of, of men... You know, you look at, you talk about worldview, you think about the Puritans, for example, whose mm. worldview was when they went to sleep, they, they died to self. And when they rose in the morning, they were made alive in Christ. Mm. And that's the kind of worldview, you know, that we, that we, that we lean into and learn from, you know, reading from, from the great men and men uh, and women of God from our past. Mm. And, uh, I mean, that's, that's personally why I think it's so important that, that when you go to church on Sunday, that you're a committed member, that you, uh, that, that you're in being invested into and you're investing into the church in response, you know, you're serving in your church. Yeah. So, you know, just as a quick side note, if you're, if you're listening to this podcast or watching this, this, this podcast, it's really important that you go and seek out a local body. Yep. Um, you know, it, eventually this podcast may get big, it may not get big, but if it does, we're I mean, I'm going to make a point to say that every, every episode that, that this is not your main form of teaching or, right. or encouragement. So, that, that's what I think about worldview. It's, a, it's an extension of your theology. And if your theology is poor, your worldview would be poor. And that, the way that you interact with the world and the church will be poor. Well, and I think one of the most important things I ever heard, and I forget who even said it, and I've been saying it for years in my preaching and in my writing and in my uh, working with people, is that correct, correct action yep. does not lead to correct belief. Yep. But correct belief does lead to correct action. There's many people who do great things in this world uh, mm. for, you know, ethically, they're, they're doing great things. Civilly, they're doing great things. They're feeding the hungry, the poor, who can have a worldview completely different than ours. Right. Um, so that action doesn't lead into them believing correctly about who God is. Right. But believers, when we do have a correct belief of who God is, it must flow out into how we live our lives, yeah. which is what the book of James is all about, that our, mm-hmm. our faith uh, is, is alive when it has good fruit, when it has works and it proves itself in right. how it how it um, walks. It grows feet and walks. Yes. So talking about Agris Church, uh, what what are what are our distinctives? You know, what do we believe? What are we about? Maybe give a little bit of introduction. Yeah, um, Agros Church is distinctive. We try to be as distinctive. We don't we don't make any. Um, we don't try to hide that we're distinctive, right. and we we actually pride ourselves on the distinctives that we hold to um and we realize other churches might have other distinctives and that's that's well and fine if that's how they interpret scripture here at agros and this is not just my vision this is something we all agreed on when we planned the church and we again stand in a long line of men and women throughout history that have held to similar things um, we're reformed baptist we're confessional um, and we're evangelistic um, we try to have everything we do in agros church um, be based on the confessions and scripture and that title of Reformed Baptists, meaning that we hold to the London Baptist Confession of Faith and the Catechisms, and we are governed by those documents. So why Reformed Baptist? Well, we're Reformed Baptist simply because, not just because it's cool or other people are doing it, and we just couldn't, you know, we want to get on the Reformed wagon, the young, restless, and Reformed, but we just couldn't cut the Pado Baptist thing, and so we're like, oh, we'll just stick with the Baptist thing. You know, it's it's less <laughs> less offensive to people or something. That's not why we we have chosen to hold to this confession because we do believe that it is the closest expression of biblical truth that that we understand um, yeah. as human beings and as believers. So we hold to that and uphold what it teaches. And well, just to jump on that, we we don't 
you know, we Dane and I love Presbyterians. We love Dutch Reformed folks. I mean, even a lot of Anglicans. Uh, mm. It's actually incredible that we are Baptists, considering that we read almost exclusively Presbyterians. Uh, yeah, I mean, behind me, <laughs> I, I could I could count. You know, <clears throat> it would be harder to count the Presbyterian works on my shelves than it would be Baptist by yeah. far. <laughs> yeah. So we, we we you know just saying that. Uh, we're not those, we're not Reformed Baptists that bash on Presbyterians. We mm. actually, I've actually had great fellowship with Presbyterians and Dutch Reformed folks and even Covenanters. Yep. Uh, and and so we, we, I personally appreciate and and, and respond well to mm. people that take the Bible seriously, mm. uh, which, which, from my from where I sit, um, I, I believe that that uh, what what was developed at the synod that happened at Dortrecht is one of the most important. Mm. Uh, councils that that ever happened in church history uh, and, and that's really what unites um, a lot of the reformed traditions mm. is what happened there um, yeah i mean the the baptist that that sat down and did the london baptist confession of faith in 1689 which was the second london baptist confession actually used as their basis the westminster standards the westminster confession of faith mm. and catechisms and the savoy declaration which was the congregationalists reformed congregationalists um their confession of faith and so they sat down with those and they just wanted to tweak aspects of it so right i can you know there, there's things in theology we call adiaphora those are the things that are that are secondary so um and though people will go to the mat over pedo-baptism versus baptism and not saying it's not important and i think it's almost in that middle ground of the essentials and the adiaphora but it is something that I don't think should break fellowship necessarily. Right. Um, and I don't think I'm alone in that opinion. I can, I can fellowship just as easily with um, Covenanters, Dutch Reformed, and Presbyterians right. as I do Reformed Baptists. Right. And I think that leads into the, the next part of our conversation, which is something that we typically share with a majority of the Reformed traditions is the way that we run our church, uh, our liturgy. Uh, so, so, Dane, give a little bit of background on how we run our church and why we, we do our church service the way we do it. Well, yeah, and I mean, I think that goes back to confessional. Mm. Um, why are we confessional? We're Reformed Baptists, and we just talked about that. Why are we confessional? Um, I think it comes down to, uh, again, everything that we're, we're all about, and especially in this podcast, because theology matters, right. because worldview matters, right. because the church matters. Those are the things that um, are important. So a common objection to uh, theology that you hear all the time, at least I do, uh, and I'm sure others that um, really start to study theology uh, hear this all the time as a critique against them, um, is that, you know, I don't have theology. I don't think theology is important. It, it's, I have a relationship with Jesus. I have a relationship with God and I read my Bible, you know, all that other stuff, you know, the theologians and their high towers. That's, that's unimportant to me. Um, I just need my Bible and I see a relationship with, uh, God mm -hmm. and it's just me and Jesus sitting under a tree in the shade reading our Bible. Right. The problem with that view is that these same people will tell you, Hey, listen to the sermon or read this book. Right. Or, or listen to this, uh, this amazing video or this teaching series I heard. And, and what that does is that shows us that they don't even believe what they're saying. Because if, right. if all you need was you and your Bible and the Holy Spirit, then why go, to go listen to a sermon at church? Why attend church? Why listen to other believers in a discussion? Why read a book? Why read devotionals? So at the end of the day, I guess it isn't just God and them, is it? Right, and well, and you and we've talked about this at quite quite a length. How everybody does theology to some degree, or or an, another. I mean, the the very word theology is not a scary word. It, it's really just your system of thought regarding God. Yeah, you know your 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 theos and and your your logia, right? You know, mm -hmm. um, and what I, I think people forget, and I've had this conversation so many times over the last several months. When people say that, oh, I'm not interested in a theological discussion, and, and I point out, well, that's a theological statement that you've just made. Yep. Uh, so we're not afraid of theology, and, and we, I, I mean, I actually think that people that pull away from theology tend to be misguided by poor theology, right? Yeah. Um, so, so we're confessional. Um, do we believe that, that scripture is underneath or equal to the confession, Dane? Oh, of course not, and I... Uh... We, we do not hold it to be equal to scripture at all. Um, and, and I actually found online um, these, there's a website where they're talking about the creedal imperative and why it's necessary to have creeds and confessions. And uh, they gave a mock conversation, which I'd actually kind of like us to read and, and talk about. Right. Um, which perfectly illustrates that very point. 
Right. Because in the in the fake conversation, they're debating about scripture, and, and anyway, I'll just read it. So this guy named Stephen, he says, hey, Peter, we're studying the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith at my church this week. You want to join us? Peter says, no, I, I don't give heed to the words of men like you guys do. Hmm. Stephen says, what do you mean? Uh, Peter says, well, I go to the Bible. I go just by the Bible. I can't rely on the words of mere uninspired men. Hmm. And Stephen, who is the confessional guy, says, me too. That's why we're studying the confession. You should join us. It'd be very edifying. Peter says, wait a minute. I just told you that I only go by the Bible, and yet you have just equated the study of the London Baptist Confession with the study of scriptures. And we hear that all the time. Right. Um, we've even had discussions with um, even amongst our church members and stuff. It, how, how is that important right now? I mean, why, why not elevate something out of Scripture rather than something from the London Baptist Confession? Um, and Stephen, who is the confessional guy, responds and says, As I just said, I only go to the Bible as well. So following the logic you're presenting to me, I'm not going to pay attention to what you said, essentially. Huh. Uh, you're not inspired after all, right, Peter? <laughs> so Peter says, of course I'm not inspired. But what I said was right because it was biblical. Stephen says, how could it be biblical if it was merely what you, an uninspired man, told me? I only listen to the inspired words of the Bible, remember? Isn't it lording it over my conscience to tell me that I have to accept the, your uninspired words as though they're the very inspired words of God? And, and we, we, we hear that, that kind of objection to being confessional or thinking theology is important or reading systematic theology or the works of people that are coming out. Peter says, oh, come on, I, I may have quoted... I may not have quoted a chapter and verse, but I was telling you what the Bible means. That's why you have to pay attention to it. Stephen says, are you saying that the meaning of the Bible, even if explained in uninspired words of uninspired men, is still binding? In fact, as binding as the very words written in the Bible? Peter says, well, yes, that is what I'm saying. The meaning of the Bible, though stated in different words, has the same authority as the exact words found there. And since I'm telling you that the meaning of the Bible is not to give heed to the uninspired words of men, you have to receive it as though it is the exact words I've spoken were written in the pages of Scripture themselves. And this is where it really comes in and kind of ties into what we just said. Stephen says, wait a minute. How is, that you've how is it that what you've just said is any different from the London Baptist Confession and what they said? After all, the writers of the Confession were only putting forth what they thought was the meaning of the Bible. And so, and so it goes on like that. I'm not going to read the entire thing because takes up a little bit of time, but basically he just fleshes that out, which I think we can do right here, that when we say, hey, theology is important, hey, um, we need to listen to our fathers in the faith, whether it be in the confessions and their writings and their sermons, um, listening to you know great men of the faith like R.C. Sproul, who just passed last year, or, mm -hmm. um, or was it this year? Earlier, earlier this later, year. later last year, earlier this year, I forget. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So that was a big loss to us, but luckily he left a legacy of books and teachings mm -hmm. and audio and videos that uh, will continue to edify for a long time. But whether you're listening to people like R.C. Sproul and MacArthur and and uh, you know Paul Washer, whoever it is, these 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 great names and fathers of the faith, the reason we listen to them, the reason we read the books, or the reason we, the reason we do all these things is because they're explaining the Bible to us. Right. To simply just read the Bible and quote a Bible verse over a Bible verse, which you, you run into a lot as, as you do ministry. People yeah, are like, well, what about this verse? Well, you have to explain it. Right. It's uh, not just the verse. You, what does it mean? We're, we're in Gilbert right now, so you'll hear this a lot. There are Lord's many, God's many. Mm -hmm. You know, ripped out of a verse that's talking about uh, idolatry. And, you know, yep. right. So it, it's, it's important that we take the scripture in context. And that's what the uh, – what I what – I, love about confessions right now my family and i were going through the heidelberg catechism mm -hmm. and family worship and uh what i really appreciate about it is that it gives you uh easily digestible chunks of 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 every single area of scripture i mean yep. it's a systematic it, and and catechisms were initially developed so that you could teach children and, and lay people the wholeness of theology from yep. beginning to end and, and that's, that's what they're designed to do. And, and believe it or not, uh, we used to live in a nation. The nation used to be, well, we still live here, but we, the nation that we live in used to be a nation that was catechized mm. uh, by the Bible. Now, now, we're, now we're catechized by the state. You know, mm. we're, we're catechized by, by public schooling and media, and now we have a completely different set of beliefs as a country. And, and so to reject the, the confessions and reject the catechisms, it would be a grave mistake especially in your families that's why at agros we we heavily encourage family worship mm -hmm. to be done we even invite uh people from our church over all the time and do let them sit in on our family worship because we yeah. find it that important yep 
so that was a little bit about confessionals. So let's let's go. We know we have to backtrack a little bit, but what do you? How does how does that impact the way that we do our church service? You know, talking about the the fathers of our faith and the historical church. Yeah. How does that impact the way we do church? Well, and this is something even that you know, as we've been planting Agro's Church, obviously you and I have been exploring the Reformed faith for quite a few years now, and, mm. and being involved in Reformed congregations, being involved in Reformed discussion groups, things like that. Right. Reading the writings of Reformed people. <clears throat> um, what we've learned through that, and I think we're even still, even within this past year, have learned a ton in planting agros, is that, again, our theology and our worldview impact everything. So how we do church. Right. What kind of music we play. What kind of teaching we do. All these kinds of things. And there's something called, especially talked about in Reform Circles, called the regulative principle of right. worship. Um, are you familiar with giving a definition of that kind of? Yeah, so the regulative yeah. principle of worship uh, is, there's varying degrees of it, let's just yeah. say that. So what, what we say right now is not going to be uh, agreed upon probably. But for the most part, it, it generally uh, is the idea that, that your worship service doesn't do anything additional than what the Bible prescribes for worship. Mm. So uh, some traditions take that to an extreme and uh, you know they'll only use certain instruments or no no instruments at all. There was a lot of performers that actually uh, were, were, were believed very heavily in that. Um, well, Ulrich Zwingli, he was, yeah. he was one of those who, actually, he was, do you know this about Zwingli? He was a, he was a trained and phenomenal musician himself. Right. But he took out all ki- any kind of music whatsoever other than singing the psalms, so no instruments were used in his worship other than right. anything, even though he could write amazing music and play many instruments well, because he believed right. that that was what the regulative principle was teaching right. from his interpretation of scripture, that it should be just that. So, yeah. So what that looks like for Agros, uh, there, like I said, there's various implementations. There's certain churches that will only have a piano, mm-hmm. no guitars, a percussion. Uh, we don't have percussion at Agros. Uh, we, we have guitars and a piano. And uh, we, we, we try to sing hymns, uh, psalms, and spiritual songs. So the majority of our... Well, let's talk. Let's back up a little bit. Yeah. Worship is not just music. Right. Right. You, we, we, we read scripture. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we, the word of God is preached from the pulpit uh, verse by verse. <clears throat> there uh, is confession reading. And there's communion. And then a doxology is singing of the three-part praise to the uh, word of glory to God. Mm. Uh, and, and that's the general flow of, of our of our worship service that happens every Sunday, yeah. and uh, so we believe that to be regulative principle that that um, the the preaching of the word, the singing of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, the reading of scripture, sermons, all prescribed for the worship service. Right. Um, yeah, and and Derek Thomas, a theologian, he comments on that saying basically that same thing that that the regulative principle teaches that. We don't add anything additional to the worship of God during the church gathering service right. that is not explicitly prescribed in Scripture. So he, he lays out a few things that, and obviously there's, there's room, and he even talks about this in this paragraph about how um, th- there's room for conscience, there's room for disagreement, whether you use a instrument or not, <clears throat> whether you um, sing only the Psalms or whether you'll implement hymns only with the Psalms and no modern songs or all of them, there's disagreement there. Again, those fall into the area of adiaphora right. instead of simply prescribed. But the idea behind regulative principle, which all Reformed churches, truly Reformed churches, would hold to, right. is that we don't just get to come in and go, hey, how are we going to do this uh, Sunday service? How do we want it to look? And how, right. how do we think it would be cool? So what would be an example, we turn to the scriptures. Yeah, what would be an example of, of something that uh, modern churches do that would we wouldn't consider maybe regulative principle before you get into that? Yeah, um... Acts of impropriety and idiocy, maybe. <laughs> so it could be, uh, and I got that straight from Derek Thomas. He said okay. that the, the, the regulative principle uh, applied to public worship frees the church from acts of impropriety and idiocy. Mm. Uh, for example, you're not free to have worship clowns, which is something you know we we, talk, we used to joke about that. Which is basically you bring in a circus. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you bring in a circus and try to just entertain, and as if the church is all just about entertaining people. Right. Um, so also there's you know. The Bible doesn't prescribe anything about drama, um, doing, you know, dancing and acting and things like that instead of a sermon, which I, there's even churches in this valley that do this. Right. Um, we were, we were talking about around Christmas time, there was a, there was a really large church actually, I would say 
a majority of Christians that live in this area specifically probably go to that church. Gilbert and Tempe. Yep, Gilbert and Tempe, and uh, they they did a they did a, pr- a full on production of how the Grinch stole Christmas instead of a sermon on Christmas, and yeah. you know it's it, it sounds like we're making fun of that, right? Right, but that was, I'm dead serious. They did that, and yep. and we didn't really know what to do. Uh, Dane actually wrote the pastor and was like, "What are you doing?" Uh, so so that would be an example of idiocy and uh, i wrote i wrote the um somebody whoever runs their facebook site i didn't write the pastor no, just to be, okay. just to be clear okay got it um yeah but i mean i did contact the church and was i simply asked i said are you having you know i didn't even get into the debate about why are you doing the grinch school christmas at at uh right at service at least show charlie brown or you know, right. so much better. <laughs> yeah. but why are, are you also doing a service or is this taking over your service meaning are you doing this instead of an actual just regular sunday service and right. i was written back and told we were, yeah we're doing this instead of a sunday service um and you know i don't know if they did some sort of gospel presentation at the end or try to work in the gospel somehow but that would fall under the area of that is not regular principle the bible right. has not justified instead of during the gathering of the saints right in the name of entertaining people in the name of trying to do an outreach right um the church and this is a big thing too the church is not uh, an evangelistic center. If yeah. if a non-believer happens to be invited to church or wander into church, that's great. They can they can be there. But the church is primarily for, as the scriptures tell us, the building up of the saints, the equipping of the saints right. for the work of ministry. Right. So it's not the place where ministry itself is done necessarily as an evangelistic ministry, but it is to equip the saints so they can go out. It is, our, it is for our fellowship. It is for worship. And, and this is the whole idea that's been put on its head essentially in modern evangelicalism and we see it daily weekly here in the valley and all over right. the country and other countries as well that the the main thing that people should understand if you take anything away from the regular principle is this where is the biblical justification for it when you're doing it at church right. so if you're going to play this song where's the biblical justification for the content of the song and how you're going to play it where's the biblical justification for doing a play during service or whatever right so um, I was going to ask you, we are, uh, we do have a liturgy, is what it's called, basically what we were just talking about was liturgics, meaning yeah. the, the structure of your service. So every, every church, even if they say they don't have a liturgy, has a liturgy. Yes. Every church has either the, the sermon sandwich, where you come in, there's announcements, two songs, sermon, two songs, there you go, sermon sandwich. Right. Um, even if they think they don't, they still have a liturgy, so... I was wondering if you could kind of walk us through, I did print out here, our, our exact um, liturgy, if you could just briefly comment on what those are and why each one of those. Yeah, so for those that uh, can't see what I'm seeing, which is a brief list of roughly <laughs> nine things, a uh, very short, so what the great thing is about the Reformed tradition is that the liturgy is usually straightforward, short, and uncomplicated. Mm. So we, we open up with announcements, a uh, greeting to the church, we welcome if there's um, our church is small enough, and I hope it always remains small enough, so that I can uh, personally greet new people from from the front. Uh, mm. When when there's new people there, I give a little bit of an introduction to the church. Hey, this mm. is what we are, or who we are, what we do. We're uh, a Reformed Baptist church, which means we hold to the 1689 London Baptist Confession of Faith, uh, amongst uh, several other creeds and confessions. Yep. Uh, and then uh, we 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 begin by corporate prayer, which is. Uh, or a pastoral prayer sometimes referred to, which is essentially an opportunity for me as an elder to to bring the worship service uh, to start. Yeah. And what, what I typically pray for there um, is, is for uh, that the Lord would, would, would be uh, with us at church, that, that the Holy Spirit would minister to us, um, that the Word of God would be preached accurately, um, that the, the ears and the hearts be opened and mm-hmm. that people would learn sound doctrine and if they don't learn sound doctrine that they would forget you know <laughs> whatever that is uh, then i i move on and i pray for the leaders of the country uh, for the leaders of the churches in the area for other churches in the area mm-hmm. um uh, because i believe that god is sovereign over all that and I, mm-hmm. I think that that we need to be praying for them and also for over the the tithes and offerings and the flow of the worship service. Well, if I could interrupt for a second, yeah. uh, if you don't mind, sorry. No, go for uh, it. Is, uh, you know, we, the reason we do that and why Taylor prays every week for other churches in the area is not because we're trying to just absorb everyone into what we think we're doing. We're, yeah. I, we're not, we especially pride ourselves on the fact we're not doing something new. 
Right. We, that's why we hold to the London Baptist Confession. That's why we stand that tradition so we can go, yeah, this is, this is not new because it's been tried, it's been tested, and it's been proved true to be <clears throat> something that's effective the way that God has designed for this to happen. So we aren't here to try to steal people from churches. If people want to come to our church, great. Right. If people want to become members of our church, great. We do want to grow and expand, of course, because we want to to see these truths that we're teaching that have been taught for hundreds of years and thousands of years to be influential in the culture, whether it be right. the church or the secular culture. Right. And just to speak to that yeah. a little bit, the, the, the majority of the people that come to our church are uh, people that never really found a church home that they could fit in, which is mm-hmm. kind of funny because we're, we're a very traditional uh, mm-hmm. liturgy, uh, but, but either didn't fit in at their old church or had to leave their old church because of uh, basically pastors being non-pastorly. Let's just yeah. say that. Um, things like that. So we, we our congregations largely unchurched uh, believers. Yeah. Um, we, we, we actually don't have a lot of people who come from other churches. They usually come from uh, a Paul Washer video or <laughs> or uh, yeah or a Matt Chandler video. Yeah. Um, so we, we, we so we open with the with the announcements, the greeting, and the the pastoral prayer, and then we uh, we we do uh, really encourage people to offer their gifts where they have them. And so every single Sunday we open up with a with a poem. Uh, a writing by uh, one of our deacons, Nicholas Femiano, and uh, he, he he's a creative writer. Was is a creative writing uh, yeah. he graduated at ASU yeah. with, and so wonderful poet and uh, just brilliant writer. Always has been since I've known him. Mm. And he he brings us. He starts the worship service by reading a a word of truth uh, that he's written ahead of time, and then we, as a prayer, yeah, as a prayer. Yeah. So it's 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 not a didactic sort of poem. It's it's a prayerful meditative mm. reflective poem and then w- once that happens the worship service has started mm. once the worship tr- ser- service has started nothing uh, alters from week to week this is the right. way it goes every single week for consistency we believe orderly worship is mm. de- is demanded by the bible uh, so we have worship songs we we have one worship song then we have an old testament reading of scripture and it's usually a section of scripture not just one verse sometimes I uh, see people getting a little bit uh, antsy in their seats waiting for the next song, but we really do pride our, ourselves in, in that within a year, uh, the congregation will have read most of their Bible just by listening to it from, from the, mm. the worship service. Mm. Um, we and, I, to- and I think, yeah, we both think that's important, not only because it's historically what the church has done, not only because the Bible says, he tells Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, right. give heed to the public reading of Scripture. Yeah. So <clears throat> the reason that we think that's important and we pride ourselves on the fact that we do it is because I know if nothing else goes right, if nothing else uh, is said that is correct biblically, that we do have at least two sections of our service that are inerrant. <laughs> uh, if, if I get up there and just butcher the sermon and I'm confused and I don't say anything correct, if I turn to a heretic overnight, come to church and say nothing correct, well, I guaranteed that from the Old Testament and the New Testament, the inerrant inspired word of God was spoken. Yeah, amen. Praise God, too. Um, that he preserved his word, by the way. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So we have uh, we have the Old Testament reading, two more worship songs, uh, which are usually hymns and uh, from some sort of modern psalter, mm. uh, and then our New Testament reading, and then a final worship song. Uh, once we close the musical worship portion uh, down, the pastor, whether uh, Dane preaches ninety five percent of the time, uh, will come up and preach a sermon. And then afterwards, I will come up and institute the Lord's Supper. And the way that we do that is basically straight from the London Baptist Confession. Pretty much, yeah. Faith. yeah. Um, we've looked to the, the past to see how they've done it. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, we, we, we do get comments sometimes. And I've even been in other Reformed churches where I've heard these same kind of comments that it's, uh, it almost seems religious or anything. That we, we do the exact same thing every week for oh, the man. Lord's Supper. Um, but a lot of people actually find comfort in the fact that it's going to be the same thing every week. And, right. and not that we want people to find comfort in the tradition or in the ordinance of Lord's Supper itself and how it's done. But the comfort is brought by the fact that every week we're taking communion together. And, and that's another distinctive us. Every week we take the Lord's Supper together. Right. Um, and, the, and the sermon, just to speak on the sermon as well, we um, try to, to do expositional preaching as well as topical preaching. So just depending on... Right. Uh, the week or depending on what we're doing, but we do put a premium on the Bible that everything that we say, whether, again, the regular principle, whether from our announcements all the way to the benediction, which we're going to go through, uh, is biblically saturated. 
Exactly. And and so what are, what our what our Lord's Supper usually looks like? Uh, we we begin uh, by by reciting the the Lord's Prayer um, mm. from Matthew six and the ESV uh, usually, and uh, then we 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 offer an invitation to the table, offering a bolstering of faith. Uh, and essentially going through the invitation, the uh, the offer of hope, mm. um, feasting of the soul, yep. uh, in unity with the body. Mm. Uh, then we we call the church to examine themselves, and we fence the table, which is a another distinctive, I guess. Some churches don't fence the table, um, so there's a you have a hard fence, which would be uh, members only can take communion. So the the pastors have decided at that church. That only members can take communion. That would be what we call a hard fence. So, it, 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 for example, in those churches, if uh, you know I wanted to go, I would have to have called ahead or have somebody called ahead who knows me right. and vouch for me. And even sometimes those cases, they'll say, "Sorry, only members." So, right. it doesn't matter how solid you are as a believer or cushion. Right. Uh, so, so, so within the PCA, at least I know they have you can be you can be on rolls of a church, which means you're a member, and you or you can be a communicant member, which mm. means that you're not necessarily on rolls. So maybe when you visit. Uh, they know your face, and they know that you're in good standing with your home church. And so uh, uh, so the way that I've seen a hard fence sort of implemented in that way uh, is that they'll announce you either have to be a member at this church or a member in good standing at another church. Mm. Um, we have a soft fence. So that would be a hard fence. We have a soft fence, and, and we, we say that this, this, uh, this meal, uh, this supper, is, is for the believer. Mm. And if you are not a believer... If you don't, if you don't confess Christ, if you, if you don't live in repentance and faith, then then you, you uh, we ask people not to take up the supper. Right. You know, and we're we're not we're not like um, you know, a, a church in, in Geneva that would draw a sword to prevent someone from taking the supper because the judgment lies on the person taking the supper in an unworthy mm-hmm. manner. Um, Paul talks mm-hmm. about how people have all sorts of sicknesses and even death as a result of taking the supper in an unworthy manner. So I I okay. leave you know, that, that be their judgment, but... Well, in our, in our church, as the pastors, we would only stop somebody from taking communion if we knew they were a, you know, well-known, prolificate, and, and a right. sinner right. Who, who openly sins publicly or is unrepentant, or if it was a member of our right. church that we had spoken to prior saying, hey, you've got this stuff going it's, on in your life, we recommend you withhold from right. the supper for a couple of weeks until the so stuff So if they're under church discipline or... Yeah. And we do stand at the head of the table, so uh, I guess I guess I say that we probably wouldn't stop someone, but I probably would if they were under church discipline. Oh, of course, yeah. Know? If I if I saw somebody that we had already spoken to or we knew was uh, a known heretic in the area, just 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 to say it, the reason why we stand there is not only to show that we've stand in that tradition that that stands there. The pastors have sanctified the table and right. opened it up for people, and now we are guarding it as God's. Um, messengers to do that and as as people who are serving the supper right. so the reason we do that if you ever come to our church you see us staying there it's not just because we're like seeing if you slip a couple bucks in the tide thing it's because <laughs> we are um doing that in the tradition to say hey we we recognize the authority has been given to us by right. god to guard the table and to make sure that the sheep are being fed the things they need and, and also if you know, there's a there's a Jehovah's Witness that comes in there that's spoken against our church or something that wants to try to go in there and take it. That's not going to happen. So, yeah. So we do we do withhold the right to actually fence the table. Yeah. Uh, at, at our church, which is which is a distinctive. There's, mm-hmm. uh, I actually of all the, well, I won't say of all the churches. I've I've been to I've been a member at two separate Reformed churches, mm. uh, one in Arizona before I moved to Philadelphia, and then one for the duration that I was in Philadelphia. Uh, but but the non-reformed churches that I was a part of, non-denominational, they, they don't fence the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they 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 sometimes will initiate the table and say this is what it's for. But there's nobody watching the tables, no one preventing people from taking communion at mm-hmm. uh, at those kinds of churches. And so that mm-hmm. is distinctive of, of uh, Agro Church. So then the most so we we take the supper for we uh, read from scripture from First Corinthians and, and mm-hmm. implement the supper in the way that Paul instructs us to. And then my favorite part of, oh, I forgot a very important part as well, the prayer of confession and repentance. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, you know, pray. the blessing of the sacrament. Yeah, the, the, you we know, do the, pray. <laughs> yeah, we, we definitely do pray while we're in there. So, yes, there's a prayer of confession, repentance, examination, uh, and an invitation uh, and an asking of God to bless the elements and, and yeah. to bless what we're doing at church. As an act of faith. like the, right. That's the one thing I learned most in Reformed 
going to Reformed Church was the the Lord's Supper. I realized it was an act of faith that it is to increase our faith right. as a community and individually. So yeah, and we don't believe that the that the uh, elements actually become the body. No, we don't believe in transubstantiation. We're not like yeah. So uh, just because Luther was a reformer doesn't doesn't mean we hold to everything right. that he believes. So. Um, and the, my favorite part of the service, uh, personally, we do a, we invite, uh, the worship team and anybody in the church that wants to come up to the front and sing the doxology is, is, uh, permitted to do so at that time. Uh, no one has taken me up on my offer yet, uh, <laughs> but I love the doxology, the, 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 the praise, um, the, the three part praise to father, son, Holy ghost. Uh, it's a short hymn has been sung historically throughout the church and we've added that to end our service. And then of course the benediction, uh, which the pastor, uh, the teaching pastor of that day, uh, which is typically Dane, uh, will, will, uh, bless. Right. And it's always, it's always from taken from scripture, at least at our church and typically the reformed tradition as well, where, um, the pastor will extend his hand just like, uh, uh, Aaron was said to do in the Arianic blessing and bless the people as they leave for the week. So it's, it leaves them with, you know, one scripture being spoken over them. So it's, it's one of my favorite parts as well. Yeah. Um, and that goes into, so that, that's our main service. That's what you're going to get. Yeah. If you, if you come to Agros Church, that's what you're going to see. Again, we have some other distinctives that are on our website. If you go to agroschurch.com, you can find pretty much all this kind of information. It'll have links yeah. to the confessions we hold to. It'll have our own statement of faith. It has our bylaws, how we govern our church. Um, it's got resources for recommended reading. It's got resources for sermon audio, resources, resources for blog articles and uh, right. Sunday school notes. And that brings me right into Sunday school. We, we do feel it's important. We had to stop for a little bit for uh, doing Sunday school because... Uh, we switched locations from my house to uh, a school, and so we we're working at the Times and all that from now. But they've been gracious to us um, and actually kind of let us stay for an extra hour, um, which is amazing. And we've chosen to implement that uh, as a time for Sunday school, which Taylor typically leads. Yep. Um, so you being the one that typically leads that, let me just ask you this. Why do we do Sunday school, and who is it for? Yeah. Uh, so Sunday school... Uh, is, is a something that we get from the Reformed tradition. Uh, Sunday school is not teaching kids. We are actually another distinctive, a family integrated church. Yes, uh, which means we love the sound of kids uh, screaming in the service. <laughs> we we think that uh, first of all, developmentally, it's important that kids uh, are are taught to sit like adults yep. and hear the word of God like adults. Um, so that when they grow up, they're used to hearing the word of God the way that mm. the word of God is preached. Um, when you, when you take the kids, and this is just a little side note, when you take the kids out of the worship service, then when they are introduced back into the worship service, they're not going to know what to do. Yeah. And, and, and you end up with this weird divide between kids that are in Sunday school mm-hmm. and kids that are not in Sunday school but want to be in Sunday school to play games and, and whatever they do in Sunday school. In most churches, they just play games. I was a Sunday school teacher for... Uh, for quite some time at uh, Mars Hill. Yeah. Uh, so what, what I think Family Integrated uh, really does well is it teaches, it, well, first it subjects children to catechesis, mm. uh, to be catechized or taught. Uh, consistently biblical teaching is super important, fund, yeah. you know, developmentally for worldview. Um, that's my side note on Family Integration and Sunday well, School. Me, if I can make a comment on that yeah, as well, course, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's amazing to have a Family Integrated Church. Yeah, it really is, and it's a <clears throat> huge blessing that this whole idea that you, you take the kids out of service. Obviously, if you have a baby that's 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 wa- you know just wailing in the back and it, and it, right. it can't be calmed down, um, it it is appropriate to take the child at that point. It becomes a distraction and and calm it, but then bring it back in. And that's usually with infants and and small babies and stuff. But as a general rule, like you said, we're supposed to teach. Um, our children how to sit still how, how to listen and how to show respect to the word of God um, and that's a huge distinctive with being uh, reform many reform churches are family integrated if I'm not mistaken because right it, it's, it's important to counter the idea which is prevalent in our nation and in our uh, modern culture especially that you know children are kind of you know you, they go off and do their thing they're always mm-hmm. uh, being taught by somebody else whether it be the state or babysitters or coaches or anything like that. Um, Whereas we believe in the Bible teaches clearly that it's the parents specifically 
that are supposed to raise the child, to teach the child, to bring the child up in the fear of fear wisdom. Fear of admonition, right. yeah. Right. And so when they're in the service with their parents, they're taught to sit still, they're taught to listen, they're taught how to sing, they're taught how to uh, worship. Um, right. And they're with their parents. They're never you know, separate from their parents, especially during a, spe- a specifically important time like the gathering of the saints. Yeah. So, yeah. Just a side note. Yeah. So... Family integrated, distinctive. We love that about our church. So and Sunday school. Yeah. <laughs> so Sunday school. Yeah. yeah. So the, the, that that all came about because most churches Sunday school is where the kids get mm-hmm. babysat. Mm-hmm. Uh, at our church, Sunday school is for the adults and the children. If they're still awake, uh, they're usually sleeping at that point. At least ours. <laughs> at least our children. Yeah. Uh, but Sunday school, the, the primary purpose is just a means to further instruct the, the lay people of the church and give them a more interactive setting. Uh, to, to really dive into various topics that maybe you wouldn't hear from the pulpit. So uh, from the pulpit, you typically hear verse by verse, sometimes topical, but mostly verse by verse. Where Sunday school, uh, right now, for example, or let's just go, we, we, we've done a series on prayer, you know, public and private, like how should we pray? Uh, we've, how to read your Bible. How to read your Bible. Uh, we've done... Um, eschatology. Well, eschatology, yeah. So the, that's a cool story. So there was a... A sermon that was um, preached at a wedding that introduced to a lot of members at our church a different perspective on the end times that they had heard before. And they were kind of like, well, what's that all about? Mm-hmm. And so as a response, we said, oh, how about we just teach the various viewpoints on eschatology and form the a church? A month and a half long thing. Yeah. yeah so we, we uh, I gave myself about a month or so to read a couple books and uh, become familiar with the discussion more so than I already was. And uh, we just went through the, the various positions on eschatology and just gave it to the church and said, here's what, what's out there. This is what we believe is accurate. Mm. Uh, and so I think Sunday school is an opportunity to respond to culture. Yeah, uh, It's, an, it's a, uh, an opportunity to get outside of the areas that you would get from the pulpit. Well, and I'm especially excited. And you can already find the first lesson notes. Uh, a couple of the eschatology lesson notes are up there. Yeah. Um, on our, you go to resources on our um website and then drop down you can go to sunday school notes um the series that taylor's doing right now is is really exciting to me and i think super important and again goes into the distinctions we've been talking about mm-hmm. the emphases we've been talking about for agro's church and that is worldview yeah. so the past few weeks um and probably for a few more weeks we're going he's just laying down the foundations of what a worldview is what does the bible teach how are we supposed to view everything so first right. he's just giving basic teachings of the scriptures and from that then we can address some of the political right. issues and things like that but it's going to be it's very exciting yeah I, i'm especially excited uh to do that uh, one of my favorite uh, theologians right now specifically uh, has quickly become my conversation partner is uh, Abraham Kuyper and his views on worldview have been completely rocking my mind. I was already a huge worldview guy uh, as far as the importance of it and, and the importance of, of looking through the lens of the Bible as opposed right. to looking through the lens of the world at the Bible. Uh, mm. But Abraham Kuyper is blowing my mind right now and, and so I'm uh, we're just breaking down what it means to to use the Bible as a lens to look out at everything else. And, and that's truly uh, what we're trying to do in the World Use uh, series. Yeah. Um, and, and then something else that's really cool about Sunday School uh, is that it honors the, the, uh, the Lord's Day, right? Yeah. So uh, a lot of, or at least in today's culture, the Lord's Day, which is the Christian Sabbath, uh, is on a Sunday. And uh, in our culture, Sunday is the family day, right? You go, to, mm. you go out to dinner with your parents and you... You know, maybe you get mimosas with your mom in the morning, you know, right? The, the, the Sunday is, is for your yourself. family and yourself <laughs> and your, and, and historically and in the Bible it is for the Lord, hmm. right? And, and so in, in Agros, our day looks like this. We, uh, we get to church in the morning and we run through our church service. Um, then we have a brief break and then we do Sunday school hmm. and then give people an opportunity to go and get lunch. And then we come back together and we eat a meal uh, together and do our uh, our catechism class. Mm. So that's at night. Man. That's at night. So we, we go to church from morning to night. And and, and if we had a yeah. place, if we had our own building or at least a place we could rent all day, right. and the ability to do that, I would love to have um, as many churches do. Church of the Redeemer did this. Your church in Philadelphia, your part of did this. The Reformed Baptist one, uh, basically every week a, a potluck. Right. Um, so you do church Sunday school. 
Um, and then potluck. It might even be better order to have potluck in between so people are refreshed for, right. for Sunday school. But as or it is right now, we only have time, so much time to shove everything in. Yeah. So put but in I would the, love to spend the whole day fellowship with the saints. That's just exactly. amazing. Yeah. Well, and then we'll put it, we'll put it in the, the, the future wish list uh, for nap pods <laughs> so yeah. that in between church service we can get a little nap in. Especially if somebody brings like some, some of those casseroles, man, they'll put you right to sleep. They will put you right out. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so I think that the, um, Sunday school gives gives a great opportunity to reach uh, outside of, of just the the encouragement of the saints, but also equips the saints to go out and uh, uh, do ministry and, and to be bolstered in their faith. And um, I think Sunday school is an awesome opportunity for that. It also honors the the, the long held tradition um, of the people that came before us, yep. uh, where they actually gave unto the Lord Sunday. Um, and you can read about this on our website, um, or right. if you have an edition of the London Baptist Confession of Faith, 1689, it's chapter 22 um, of their right. confession. So you can read about the Lord's Day on there, and right. that'll be exactly what we believe at this church. So, so those, are, those are the activities that we do on Sunday. We have a couple of other uh, what, things that we do. What time are we working with right now? How much time do we have left? Um, probably about 10, 15, 20 minutes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Yeah. So we, uh, we have other things that we do as a church. Um, Dane, what are some of the other activities that we that we have at Agros, and why do we do this? I mean, beyond the Sunday night, um, also where we do the catechism right now, or, or confession, something we're going through. Right now we're going through the London, no, sorry, Westminster Shorter Catechism, mm-hmm. um, and we've been going through that for, since the church started last August. So. Almost a year now. Yeah. yeah, and so that's been uh, that's been really exciting, and every week we talk about a question and an answer and it um, sometimes organically just develops into all sorts of crazy stuff but we tried to, to rein it back in and, and really just teach the people every week um, and, and what's cool about these two other things we have going on as well as a women's study now that is bi-weekly every other week yeah yeah, yeah. Um, just started so please uh, find more information about that online and on our Facebook and our website um, is the we have a Friday night apologetic study we've already been through an apologetics course on uh, Mormonism. Mm-hmm. We meet at a Starbucks right now in Gilbert. Um, if last week is any indication, uh, probably gonna have to find a new location <laughs> because it's just uh, it's hard. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've been even this past week and the week before that, we've had to uh, kind of beg people for their chairs and uh, extra chairs and tables. Even hey, you know, you right. mind moving over there. So, um, what we like about being able to meet in a public place is uh, people can join more easily, but uh, sometimes there's just not enough room. Um, but we do that, and right now we are, it's kind of similar to what we're doing in Sunday school, but also completely different because they're both starting out with the same grounding, which is we're talking about apologetics, just methods in general. First we were doing, um, Taylor took us through evangelizing Mormons because there's a lot of Mormons in our area, mm-hmm. um, and now we're doing specifically presuppositional apologetics, meaning we presuppose that the Bible's true, others presuppose it's not, or have other presuppositions. We recognize presuppositions and don't try to hide the fact that we have presuppositions, which is that the Bible's true, and we work from that and go forth. So um, we encourage not only church members, but also anyone from any other church or anyone who's just interested to come to to either Friday night or Sunday night um, so we can kind of spread that the teaching even farther and that's that's really cool so that's important that we have that <clears throat> and then um I think that brings us into what you know what is our what is our vision locally and worldwide obviously we you know all the things we've talked about all flows into those things but mm-hmm. um and, and i know we agree on this it can be to disciple our people yep. just really shepherd our people bring them up in the admonition of the lord the children and bring the the believers to to a strong and solid faith they won't be tossed to and fro by the winds of every doctrine that comes comes along so they'll, right. they'll be aware of the issues we're not going to hide the fact that there are other views out there we're going to address them right um with respect and honor um and then we're going to obviously debunk and um teach the truth against false religions and false theologies take them apart yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. show the people how it, how it can't substantiate itself yeah. And we do want to reach out to other churches and communities. Um, again, not that we want uh, to make a bunch of cookie-cutter churches, because I want every church should be specific and unique to its own body. Right. But we do believe that the, the London Baptist Confession of Faith reflects uh, the teachings of Scripture, and we'd love to see, um, no matter who you are, what denomination you belong to, if you're truly a Christian and you're reading your Scriptures, and you look at church history at all, you got to see that the modern church in America is very shallow. 
So even yeah. if you're an Arminian or anything, um, or Wesleyan or a Methodist or whatever, you got to realize that even in your tradition, it's probably way more watered down than it used to be. And so we just want to see people dive deeper and be more biblical in everything they do. Um, yeah, I think Whitfield would have something to say about modern. Who? Uh, Whitfield would have something to say about oh, modern. Oh, yeah, methods. yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, probably wouldn't be happy. <laughs> well, he wasn't even happy with Wesley. <laughs> Although, even though they butted heads a lot, and Wesley actually wrote a book, uh, or a tract at the time, against Calvinism, like really, really slamming it. And uh, Wesley was not a Calvinist. Obviously, he was an Arminian, more of a Wesleyan. Um, and Whitfield was a strong Calvinist. He actually said, you know, even though he, he wrote Whitfield and was like, why did you do that? He was literally just like, <laughs> why did you have to do that? that that's going to harm a lot of things. Yeah. It's going to cause a lot of division, and, and it's not true. But he said, with all his disagreements with Wesley, that he wouldn't even be able to see Wesley when he got to heaven because Wesley would be way closer to the throne than he was. He'd be way in the back, <laughs> and Wesley would be way up there, yeah. right at the foot of the throne. So yeah. um, we, we do recognize we can fellowship with people we have disagreements with. We, can, um, we have unity in the body of Christ, but we do want to see people go deeper and, and do want to win people to our views, um, but not for the sake of the views themselves, but because we see that it's the most God-glorifying, uh, brings right. the most joy to the human life like our like the westminster confession of faith or the westminster shorter catechism says question one what is the chief end of man why does man exist why are we here answer to glorify god and enjoy him forever yeah so yeah so we're talking a little bit about vision uh you know what do we want to see for the area yeah uh dane was talking about to impact churches and to to hopefully encourage reformation in arizona uh, mm -hmm. so, so at least for me uh my primary goal uh, for Iger's church is to disciple well. Yep. Um, the the Great Commission doesn't say go forth and preach the gospel. It says yeah. it's, it, it doesn't stop there, right? Yeah. It, says, it says go forth, making disciples of all nations, all nations, all nations, baptizing them, you know, and so on and so forth. Uh, you know, in the authority of Christ, knowing that Christ will be with us till the end of the age, making disciples. It doesn't just stop with preaching the gospel. And so making disciples well that will make other disciples, that will make more disciples, mm -hmm. that will hopefully impact the world. Yep. Uh, and, and so as a result of that discipleship, genuine impact on communities, on governments. Um, yep. and, then, and then another goal that we had since the beginning was to be in community with churches near us. So if yep. you're in Arizona, we've reached out to Apologia Church. Uh, that's the only one we've really made solid contact with. Uh, all the other churches don't really like us too much right now. Um, we, to be fair, we haven't reached out to that many yet, so. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Because we already know the answer for some of us. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that's uh, kind of a joke. I'm not yeah, I'm not yeah. actually saying we have beef with other churches. Well, just, some churches have beef with us already. Right, yeah. so uh, because we're reformed and uh, mm -hmm. apparently we, yeah, we won't go into that uh, in our <laughs> podcast. But if, if, you're, if you're curious as to what's going on there, um, you can reach out to us individually. Yep. Um, but but to be in community, to generally yeah. uh, influence the community and the culture and the church culture, and uh, something a segment that we plan on having in the future is actually to critique some of the sermons that are going out of the pulpit in our area, yep. out of love and and uh, and uh, care and concern mm -hmm. for the people sitting under those sermons. And we plan on actually contacting those pastors and churches every time we do that and say, hey. Right. Um, please listen to this. We, we, we had this to say, so it's not just to bash people so we can get views or get people following us or listening right. to us, but it is to correct them and they're putting it out publicly. We're hoping to win them to a better view. So it will be right. Right. At least just call on the conviction that's already there. Right. You know, there are, mm -hmm. um, so we, we have a little bit of time left where I think we're running a little bit late, but I think the first podcast we can kind of run long, uh, because we did have to cover a lot of uh, just distinctives about Agra's church and who we are and just introdu introduction. Right. Um, but, but, but I think, uh, I mean, we're going to get into the solas. I think we should still do that. What do you think? Um, or do we I want think, to say I think, that? Well, yeah, I think we should save it. So tune in next week for our introduction on the solas. But I uh, kind of wanted to back up. Maybe we should address it at the beginning, but whatever. Here we are now. Yeah, um, yeah, okay. Is that... Uh, this was, this was the layout for this podcast, was basically an introduction to what we're doing, but our vision for the podcasts in general weekly yeah. will be um, to address uh, theology, issues of theology, yep. the past, so looking at church history, yep. and the present. Yep. So, like Taylor said, we'll be critiquing some things, we'll be talking about things that are going on, aggress, things we're doing, uh, current trends and events in theology right. uh, uh, that, that are either good or bad, book reviews... Um, 
uh, other podcasts, the podcasting community, and things like that. So we will right. be. Um, sorry if uh, some of the babies. There's are no up on way there. they didn't hear yeah, my yeah. daughter screaming uh, down there. His daughter's crying downstairs, but again, that was a fake, family that, integrated. That was a fake cry. Uh, that, yeah. that, that was not real. I could tell. And there is somebody with her, his wife. So yeah, my wife's <laughs> downstairs. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what did you say? The the format for our podcast is going to be. I, I kind of laid it out as past, present, future sort of situation. Mm. Right, so we're we're gonna do. We, we think that uh, I forget is it James White that talks about how everybody should at least attempt to learn church history in Greek. Right, is that or he said that there's a lot better things we could do with our that that is a better use of our time than probably ninety five percent of things we do in America. Yeah. So he's not so, saying every every Christian needs to know Greek especially, but um, he he would encourage people to know something about church history, the development of I think theology. Zingley, Zingley would probably. Singly, yeah, oh, yeah, he yeah. probably said. Yeah. Uh, but the so so yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna do a segment on church history and hopefully just give people an opportunity to interact with the great yeah. uh, heroes of our faith from the past. Uh, hear some dialogue on what we think of them. Uh, they're not gonna be all good things, I promise you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then we're gonna go and we're gonna do segments on sermon. It's not gonna be like discernment blogging. Like that's mm. not what we're gonna do. No. We're not gonna do like clickbait, tearing people down. <laughs> uh, nothing like that. But but just genuine. Um, critique of sermons, uh, we're, we're going to talk about church culture, we're going to talk about politics, we're going to talk about the world, uh, and, and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll uh, bring it all together, and we're also going to have a theological section. Yeah. So, uh, church history, systematics, uh, current events, mm -hmm. uh, anything you can think of, we're going to try to answer it as best as we can, and hopefully introduce you guys to some of these great men sitting on these shelves behind me. Which actually we're going to have... Uh member scott uh he's still sitting back there i think i thought i fall asleep i think he's fall asleep yeah, did you did you sleep for a while or a little bit, yeah. did you really <laughs> yeah. wow. well, I guess... we must have been really entertaining that's good <sighs> well i'll i hope you guys are still with us uh maybe not that's i don't okay. know they could put us um, on before but, they but go scott to sleep. yeah that's a good way to put us to sleep hey as long as it gets us views right yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. i'm just kidding um <laughs> scott will actually we'll have a segment you know here and there will he'll go and pick somebody off my shelf hopefully somebody i've read before and know something about but He'll, you know, we'll talk about, you know, who, who is William Perkins or who is Charles Spurgeon or Carl Bart or um, so can, many of these other can guys. Can not talk about Bart? I just uh, don't, I really don't want to. We'll, we'll probably have to talk about Bart. But, yeah, if we talk uh, about, can we talk about Kierkegaard then too? Yeah. Okay. I mean, he had influence yeah. on theology, so uh, we got to talk about, okay. we got to talk about even the things we don't want to talk about. I don't want um, to. But. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Yeah. I'd love to talk about Bart and Kierkegaard. Yes, uh, that's good stuff. You'd love, you'd love to slam Bart and Kierkegaard. Oh, I think, but, yes. Yeah. Yes. I'll slam um, dunk on them. Yeah. yeah. They have their terrible worldview. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't argue with that. But he will pull one down, and we'll we'll talk about that you know that person's theology, that person's worldview, mm -hmm. the the time era they belong to. So William Perkins, you know, he was he was called the father of Puritanism, right? Um, and kind of the time period he lived in. We'll talk about all sorts of things like that, and kind of bring in not they all kind of like represent everything. That person's worldview, that person's theology, that person's time period, and what was going mm -hmm. on in church at that time. So that'll be really cool. Yeah, I'm excited. All right. Well, thank you for tuning in to our first podcast i'm your co-host taylor soto and this is my co-host dane johansson and hopefully uh going forward this will be an edifying pursuit yep um, thank you for joining us again and we'll see you next time thanks god bless